Hello, this is Sophia. And I'm Victoria. And you're listening to It's All History to Me, Auburn's History Radio Hour at 8 a.m. on Thursdays. Each week, we will interview a history professional with the theme of uncovering untold stories. Let's get started. I am in a conventional dither with a conventional star in my eye. And you will know there's a lump in my throat when I speak of that wonderful guy. Hello, and welcome back to It's All History to Me, the final episode of season two of Auburn University's premier-run student radio hour, history radio hour. This morning, we're being joined by a very special guest who is calling in from the Equal Justice Initi- Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama, Mr. Dixios Damtu. Mr. Damtu earned his bachelor's degree in interla- international political economy from Colorado College, where he was elected student body president, captain the speech and debate team, and received a Davis Projects for Peace grant to facilitate civics education and workshops across Colorado. Previously, Mr. Damtu has worked on reform issues as a campaign coordinator for Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser and interned for Judge Maria T. Fox of the Colorado Court of Appeals. Dixios Dantu joined the EJI in 2023, where he now works as a project assistant. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yes, we can hear you now. Of course, it's our pleasure. (laughs) All right, so to start the morning off, for our listeners who may not know, can you explain what the Equal Justice Initiative is and the wide variety of work that the organization does? Absolutely. The Equal Justice Initiative is a nonprofit organization based out of Montgomery, Alabama, and it was founded in 1989 by our executive director, Mr. Brian Stevenson, in response to a crisis on Alabama's death row. So for the past 30 years, the Equal Justice Initiative has been providing free legal support for people who have been wrongfully convicted, unfairly sentenced, or um, receiving uh, harsh, harsher sentences um, than, than, than they were initially supposed to. And over time, our mission expanded. Um, we started to research and really dig into how racial injustice has clouded our ability to move forward in this country with an era of truth-telling. So um, we really center our work around racial justice. So we do all sorts of things, um, but, our, but our work is really about telling that history and finding a way to connect it to our legal work, um, which is focused on addressing the crisis of mass incarceration that we face today. Yeah, that's great. How did you first learn about the compelling and sig- significant work of EJI? So like a lot of people, I think the Equal Justice Initiative for me was something I connected with our executive director, Mr. Brian Stevenson, w- with on um, so I, I actually remember I was in college and, and I was listening to a, a TED talk by Mr. Stevenson where he talked about an injustice that, that has happened in this United States of America of racial inequality and how over time we've allowed this narrative of racial difference to evolve and we didn't get rid of slavery, but instead we allowed it to evolve into what is now the crisis of mass incarceration. Mm. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I watched that TED Talk, I, I was just really inspired by his vision and, and his mission. And so then I started to dig in a little bit more about his organization, the Equal Justice Initiative. And I, and I learned that he was, he was fighting this daily battle to really address this legacy and to understand this history. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's something that 
we feel like makes the EJI so special is that bridge that you all connect from the legal sphere to the historic sphere and how you find that middle ground in between the two and realize that they're not two separate pieces, but rather one whole narrative that needs to be addressed. So that's absolutely amazing. All right. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So how does the work you do and the work of the EJI at large connect to the study of history? The, the study of history is absolutely central to what we're trying to do here at the Equal Justice Initiative. We believe that until this country truly grapples with the history of racial inequality, we do not have a chance of moving forward to a process mm -hmm. of truth and reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And in order to really grapple with the truth, we started off in 2008 with a project where we published a series of reports to educate the public on the history of racial injustice. Um, you know, we believe that here at the Equal Justice Initiative that truth and reconciliation are sequential. History and understanding our history is, is really the most important first step. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there a particular project within EJI that you assist on? Yeah, here at EJI, we all wear very many hats. Um, it's it's um, rarely a, a slow day around here. So <laughs> I, I do all sorts of different things at EJI. Uh, I provide support for our anti-poverty initiative, where we provide month-to-month -month support for families in need across the state of Alabama. And then I also work with our Community Remembrance Project, where we are working with communities across the country to recognize and grapple with the history of racial violence, in particular racial terror lynchings um, across the country. And the final area that I really work in is our legal intake. So at EJI, we get letters every single week from incarcerated people across the country who are writing to us detailing horrific prison conditions, uh, as well as just a lot of violence um, that, that we see across this country. And so I, I read those letters every week and um, work with our team um, for coming up with a response as to how we're going to um, respond to those letters. Oh, absolutely. Lots of important work. And wow, that's, that's amazing that there's people writing in that frequently to the EGI. I had no idea. Yeah. Right. How do you decide which projects you're going to focus on when it comes to people who write in? It's a, that's a great question. It's definitely a challenge. I think we get a lot more letters than we're actually able to support with. Obviously, our mission is to help as many people as we possibly can, but there is a bit that we have to realize that we're not going to be able to support all the people that do write to us. So you'll know here that at e the Equal Justice Initiative, anyone who writes to us gets a response. Um, oftentimes, it can be really difficult to only have that response be that we've, we've heard them and that we've gotten their letter um, and that, there's, that, that we will reach out to them if there's anything we can do further. But we think it's important to humanize that process and to at least make sure that everyone knows that we take into consideration what they write to us and, and, and tell us about. Yeah. As far as what the process is for deciding what cases we take on, historically, um, we evolve over time depending on the conditions around us. When we first started, the Equal Justice Initiative was primarily focused on tackling the death penalty in the United States. Mm -hmm. But over time, we realized that there were other areas of crisis that we needed to intervene with. I mean, one area that we have been particularly known for is representing children who have been sentenced to die in prison. Mm -hmm. And that really came through 
when we started to receive outreach from children who were telling us about some of the conditions that they faced. So it's honestly a, a great question because it's, it's really hard to answer because I think over time we are just responsive to what we see and, and what people are telling us. Right. That's a great quality, though, that there's, you know, that fluidity in what the EJI's mission is and that you're working to address as many things as they're coming up and as they're more light is being brought to them. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So for our last question of this segment, how do you feel your work has connected to our theme this season of Uncovering Untold Stories? It's a, it's a great theme because I think a lot of what we're trying to do here at the Equal Justice Initiative is uncovering um, some of the untold stories of racial terror lynchings, of racial violence that's happened in the United States of America. Uh, our museum and our memorial here in Montgomery, we invite folks to come here and to grapple with that history. A lot of it that many of us don't really think deeply about. When I came to the Equal Justice Initiative, I remember I felt like I was pretty equipped to understand the racial injustices in the United States. But until I actually grappled deeply with the reports, looked through our museum, which has hours and hours of content mm -hmm. of the horrific violence that people faced here in the United States, I, I didn't really understand all of the details of that history and, and the narratives that get lost when we um, try to glance over it or try to condense it into um, a, a really short or, or kind of pretty painted picture. And so I think that that's what's been the, the, the amazing part about the Equal Justice Initiative and, and this um, you know, podcast that you all are, are putting on and the theme that you have here is I think it's all about telling the stories that are often marginalized and um, that, that, are, that often go unheard. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you so much for the compliment, too. That's, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And definitely, we Sophia and I have been talking about public history as well this semester and how uh, it's important to have those public-facing projects that give visitors the opportunity that wouldn't otherwise, you know, be exposed to this history to learn more about it and grapple with it at a pace that works for them through visuals and narratives that are written out for them to read. And the EGI does just such a phenomenal job of that. So definitely an amazing projects, amazing set of projects that you all are doing. Yeah, that's, that's awesome to hear that you all are, are doing that work too. Oh, thanks. All right. So I think we are going to our first uh, PSA break, but we will be back in just two minutes. Good morning and welcome back to It's All History to Me. So we are joined this morning by Desikios Damtu of the Equal Justice Initiative, and he's calling in from Montgomery. So the work of the Equal Justice Initiative is wide-spanning, focusing on completing projects in the areas of criminal justice reform, racial justice, anti-poverty, and public education. For students of history in particular, the crown jewel of the EJI is the initiative's Legacy Museum in Montgomery, as well as the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery. So uh, these both offer a powerful, immersive journey through America's history of racial injustice. So to begin this section of our conversation this morning, how did the EJI develop the idea to build the Legacy Museum and the National Memorial for Peace and Justice? Well, the answer to your question really is one that would, would take me about 30 minutes to, to, <laughs> to really unpack, but I right. feel like that's, that's not what your listeners want or, or what we have time for today. So I'll try to give you a bit of the condensed answer. But really, it, it all goes back to our founding in 1989, when we were 
um, really pushing to address the um, crisis on death row here in the state of Alabama. And over time, we realized that racial injustice clouded not only our work within the courts, but outside of it as well, too. We were unable to reach favorable decisions in the courts for our clients unless we address this broader narrative of racial difference that was going on in American society. Mm. And so that's what started the research and uh, public education initiative in 2008 to focus on telling this history of racial injustice, which then eventually we started to put to pieces of this research together. And we wanted to bring people to Montgomery, Alabama, to really grapple and to reconcile with, with this history, the place of um, where the domestic slave trade really boomed and um, where we saw some of the grave horrors that enslaved people faced, we wanted to bring people here to understand that history. Um, and so that's what started the, um, the, the, the motivation for the museum. And then really we galvanized that you know, over a decade of research mm. into creating the material that would be necessary for, for the museum and ultimately the, the memorial. That makes sense. And a great concise answer for the time that we have. (laughs) (laughs) What was the research process like for the development of the Legacy Museum's variety of displays? Mm. Yeah, and and I think this this blends really nicely into your your previous question. So for the the research process, it was a really long um, research um, process that we had that, that, like I said, started in 2008 where we started the public education initiative. Um, in particular, I'll, I'll just focus quickly on, on racial terror lynchings mm. and, and some of the research that we had to do there. So we realized that, um, there, that the United States didn't really have this large um, understanding of racial terror lynchings and documentation of racial terror lynchings. Mm. So we started um, uncovering the historical artifacts, racial terror lynchings that were newspaper clippings, as well as looking at records from the Freedmen's Bureau to actually really try to uncover um, what actually happened during these racial terror lynchings. But as, as um, students of history, as you all um, probably definitely understand really well, part of the challenge was that history is obviously not neutral um, in the way that it's told in newspapers, right. I guess is, is what I should say. Um, and so we noticed that these newspapers oftentimes told the history in a way that was coming from the lens of the people who are perpetrators of the violence, which required us to make sure that we were intentional about how we display this information in the museum so as to not present what these newspapers were showing as facts or necessarily the truth, but instead providing additional context to to what had actually happened during those times. Mm. That's so interesting and definitely an important piece to think about. We've talked with some other guests this season as well about how the the complexities of telling a history that's being told through the eyes of someone else first. And so that makes a lot of sense and is a neat other way that this, this kind of trend uh, formulates itself through this topic of history as well. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So would you say that this was the hardest feature of the museum to develop a cohesive narrative for, or is there another piece that you think was even trickier than uh, reconciling with the uh, racial violence of lynchings? 
the the challenge with the museum and and a lot of stories that that we were trying to tell was we wanted to tell a cohesive narrative, but we didn't just want to tell a cohesive narrative. We wanted to also make sure that we highlighted the individual narratives of people that experienced some of this violence as well. Mm. And I think that can be really challenging because it's sometimes really easy to to get lost in the weeds of, of individual stories and then sometimes only be gravitated towards the larger narrative right. of um, what a story is telling you. Um, but what I think I, I really appreciate about the museum and, and what was, I think, the most challenging, obviously I wasn't there for the creation of the museum, but what I think is the most impressive, at least in my mind, is being able to blend those two aspects and elements in a way that is authentic to the experience of um, both the individual stories as well as the, the broader narrative of, of racial injustice. Um, if, if any of your listeners get a chance to come to the museum, um, they'll, they'll get an opportunity to see that, you know, we don't just focus on this broader narrative of racial injustice, but we want to take people through a journey where they take a look at all of the individual stories that make up that larger narrative. Absolutely. That's super impressive that the EJI, the Legacy Museum, is able to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. In the same note, but focusing more on the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, what was the inspiration for this memorial? Yeah, I think the the memorial. Um, it, it's a it's a great question, and um, you know, I, I I I will I will spare you all listening to the same speech over and over again because it does actually truly always go back to 1989 and, and the founding of our organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but the inspiration is is really um, similar. I mean, the, the concept is that we wanted to create a space in the United States where people memorialized and um, thought about the history of racial terror lynchings and racial violence. Um, and you'll notice that we call it the National Memorial for Peace and Justice because we believe by really grappling with these um, monuments that display the names of victims of racial terror lynchings, we can really start to understand what has gone on in this country. And if we, if we do that, we can, we can move to a place that's, that's better for us. Um, and and at the end of the day, um, both of these projects, the museum and the memorial, are, are really focused on pushing forward this public conversation about truth-telling and, and how we can actually start to memorialize things in this country that are difficult and that are hard um, that, that we seem to have often shied away from. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, just super important and having that combination of a visual and a textual, I guess, experience for visitors by having a museum and a memorial is super powerful and definitely something that we always hear when people go that that really strikes them as one of the most impactful parts is that memorial for peace and justice. And talking about the power of names is super significant, it seems, to the EJI's messagings, as well as having a memorial for peace and justice that's highlighting such uh, emotionally riveting stories that, uh, you know, moved the United States on that path of peace and justice. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the process uh, to find the artist for this iconic part of the museum, the memorial, and how long it took for the artists to design these final products? 
I'm not quite sure exactly the, the timeline for the artist in, in developing the product, the, um, the, the, the art pieces for the museum and the memorial um, as a plug for people to actually come and check it out. There is actually in one of the theaters in the museum, um, uh, you know, one of the artists that worked really closely with the museum talks a lot about his process for developing um, the different artworks and actually takes you through his journey, um, his connection to Africa, as well as um, the the process that, that went into developing um, the the pieces for the, both the museum and the, the, the memorial. Um, you know, we had we worked with um, not just one artist, but, but multiple artists. And, and um, I, I know that it took some time, um, but we did always feel a sense of urgency with this project. Mm. It, it was not one that was, um, you know, the, the, the production of the museum memorial was not one that was a 10-year-long project. Right. The research mm -hmm. surely was, was longer than that, mm -hmm. but the actual production um, was really done in, in a matter of a couple of years. Um, so for our last question before the ad break, um, what is the overarching message of the Legacy Museum and the National Memorial for Peace and Justice that your team hopes visitors will take away? We hope that people come to Montgomery and they grapple more deeply than they had before with the history of racial injustice in the United States by going to the Legacy Museum and the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, we hope that our guests will be able to have a transformative experience where they learn a lot more about our country's history and in particular the details of what racial violence looked like over not just our lifetime, but the span of this nation as a whole. Mm. And so that's really the goal with both of these sites is, is um, that deeper reflection um, and taking that with them into the world and into their own communities um, to, to hopefully um, create change and, and to advance this narrative and to advance this era of truth telling. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a section of the museum that you find personally like the most powerful or you gravitate um, towards when you walk through it? Mm. I've actually, I, I love that question because the museum just has so much rich content. So I, I sometimes, it, it's hard for me to pick a, a favorite or a place <laughs> that, that I gravitate towards too. But I think when I, I'm going to go back to when I first came to the museum, I think, you know, we have a piece of the museum that really shows you um, uh, the era of mass incarceration and um, some of the challenges that were faced by um, some of the people who are um, incarcerated across the country. And reading some of those stories um, was, was really impactful for me because it really connected everything together. I think it really showed me that this narrative of racial difference is not something that is long gone. It's really something that we live with every single day. And it also opened my eyes to just how complacent we sometimes can get with how with um, the injustices that are going on around us. Mm -hmm. And I think that it really just has become one of the most important parts of the museum experience for me because um, it shows me that there's so much more that I could be doing. Um, there's so much more that um, as a nation we could be doing to, to address this crisis. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely the power of those places to plant those seeds in everyone's minds that walks through those halls in whatever way, whatever they connect with the most. And that's just a super, super exciting thing that the history has the power to motivate action. Totally. I totally agree. Yeah. We're going to go to our next ad break session, but we'll see you in two minutes. Hello, and welcome back to It's All History to Me. If you're just joining us, we're joined with Mr. Dixeos Damtu from the Equal Justice Initiative. So how does your background you have in international political economy help you to understand the work of EJI in a unique light? I think a interdisciplinary background from an undergraduate standpoint was really has been really helpful for making sure that I um, think about the various intersections between the work that we do. A, a lot of people would not initially think that a law firm would be engaging in creating museums and memorials. That, that is a little <laughs> mm-hmm. strange to a lot of people. <laughs> um, and so I think that um, being open to viewing things from just from more than just one lens and, and taking a look at that intersection, I think it's been helpful. Um, so I think that's, that's what sometimes is funny about undergraduate majors is you don't necessarily use them directly, but um, it's more um, sometimes really helpful to just have a, a way of thinking that allows you to draw on different disciplines and subjects and, and, and to bring them together. So I think that's, that's mainly how it's been helpful. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm appreciative for, for that undergraduate experience. Yeah, that's good advice, especially for uh, our listeners who uh, might be tuning in from their college dorms or driving into their final classes this morning. So, yeah, definitely that is great advice and super neat that it's materialized for you in this way in your career. Oh, wow. Yeah, I forgot it's um, it's around final seasons right now, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yes, yes. probably very stressed. Well, I, I hope oh, this yeah. is I, – I, if this is – I hope this is decompressing in, in some way. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so how big is or are the projects that you assist on for the EJI? How, like, wide-spanning are they? I know that we talked earlier about it, but just to have a deeper conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they, they span quite wide. I mean, our Community Remembrance Project works with communities across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are communities doing amazing work to grapple with the history and the legacy of racial injustice um, across the United States. And so I'm in communication with people um, across the country, really, mm-hmm. as well as um, with the um, incarcerated people that write to us. There's not a specific state that they're limited to. They write to us from uh, all sorts of different places. Wow. Um, and so, you know, we are really in communication with people across the country. Um and so I think that that's really one of the um, challenging things is, um, you know, realizing that we have a very specific goal and a specific mission in addressing the history of racial injustice. But oftentimes we have um, projects that, that span across the country. And so um, we have to be really strategic about what we can take on and, and where we can help. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is there any of EJS projects that uncover untold stories, especially well, that you would like to highlight for our listeners? Uh, sorry, I, I couldn't quite hear that. Could you repeat that? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, is there any of EJS projects that uncover untold stories, especially well, that you would like to highlight for our listeners? I think one project that I think would be really helpful for, for listeners to, to hear about is our Community Remembrance Project, because I think it's something that 
most people can get involved with within their own community. Um, so our Community Remembrance Project, we work with local communities across the um, country um, to really advance this history or to advance um, the work of truth telling and to understand the history of racial injustice. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is um, that we have people who are, um, you know, who are on the ground, who are coming together to do things such as soil collections, where they collect soil at the site of former racial terror lynchings um, and do soil collection ceremonies where mm. they bring together the community um, to really grapple with that history and to, um, to, to, to memorialize what, what happened um, during these racial terror lynchings. Yeah. And then kind of on the other end of that, we have uh, marker ceremonies where we um, place markers um, that um, commemorate and memorialize racial terror um, lynching victims as well and, and honor their, their um, what had happened or, or to honor these, these people. Um, and so I think the Community Remembrance Project, they, we have communities, like I said, across the country. And so those are great opportunities for people to get involved in if, if people are interested. Right. Yeah. yeah, I have a special tie to the Community Remembrance Project because in high school we did a little bit of work with it. And I did some research on a local lynching of a man named Charles, Lin uh, Charles Miller, who some, if you're local to Lee County, you might recognize that name because it was a very like big scandal from the time. Mm. Um, and it was just mm. really powerful to get to like learn about his story and do that work. And it ultimately like pushed me into the field of history because I realized how powerful like storytelling can be mm. and why it's so important. Wow. Wow. That's. That's awesome to hear. You know, it's really amazing that the Community Remembrance Project was, was so inspirational for you. And, um, yeah, I hope that encourages other people to also get involved because I think, um, I think there's, there's something to be said about actually going out in your community and, and grappling with this um, as opposed yeah. to just reading about it, which I think reading about it, not to, not to undermine that, I think that that is really, really important, and I want to highlight that, but... You know, as you just kind of displayed there, it's so amazing when you can actually go into your community and, and think about um, impacting change. Yeah, yeah. In a similar vein, kind of uh, adding on to what you were just saying, what advice or additional advice do you have for college or high school students interested in pursuing careers that uh, will work to combat the injustices of the past and help society move forward in a positive direction? To, to take a page out of um, our executive director, Mr. Brian Stevenson's book, I think proximity is, is something that really, really matters. Hmm. So for people who are looking to advance um, the public interest or, or doing public service or, or working towards addressing these histories, I think what's really important is getting proximate to people who are the most impacted and, and affected by um, the history and the legacy of racial injustice. Mm. I think that that's what I've had the opportunity to do here at the Equal Justice Initiative. I think a lot of people think of, um, you know, a lot of people ask me sometimes, they say, oh, well, like, how can you do this work? You know, it's so um, dark and it, it's really troubling. Mm. And I just say to those people that um, in this work is a lot of hope. Right. I meet a lot of people who have brilliant and tremendous stories who um, inspire me to continue to, to fight for justice. And I think it, it helps me realize that there is 
such a depth to this injustice that, that, I, that I think I didn't realize before. So I think if, if I had to give advice to people, that would be the big thing is, is really do your best to, um, to learn and, and to listen closely to, to the people who are the most impacted by the issues um, that you care about or, or that you want to learn more about, as well as putting yourself close to the people doing the work um, to change those um, injustices as well. Absolutely. Great advice. Yeah. Sort of in the same vein of ho- of having hope for the future, what do you hope the future for uh, hope the future is for EJI as they continue to expand their portfolio of projects? We at the Equal Justice Initiative are, are generally hopeful, um, as as I said yeah, yeah. Um, in in my in my last point, which I think sometimes can can shock some people because of the difficult work that that we deal with, mm-hmm. but. I think we're the most hopeful that by really deeply grappling with this history, by really analyzing what it has done to us, what how it impacts our humanity, um, that we will be able to move to something better and that there's truthfully something better out there for us. I think what can be kind of scary and daunting sometimes is um, we don't know exactly what justice is going to look like or, mm-hmm. or what that future is going to hold. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we believe that it's important for us to first grapple with this history, and then we can move towards um, this this point where where there'll be something better waiting for us out there. Right. Yeah. That's that's so powerful and a great great note. I was thinking the same thing uh, when, when we were doing the research for uh, our conversation this morning. It's just like, wow, it's so so impressive how much powerful work you all are doing. But at the same time, it's you know inherently something that's troubling and could easily take you know the light out of you. So that hope is at the core of everything that EJI does is definitely awesome to hear. Thank you. Um, what's what has been surprising to you about the work you do with the EJI? I can think of all sorts of things that have been surprising. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's really hard not to, um, you know. So I grew up in Denver, Colorado. Um, I'm not from Montgomery, Alabama. I, right. I moved to Alabama, um, and I think it was it was radically different for me. Um, I think, you know, I, I was going from a place of comfort to um, something completely new. And I think sometimes, um, you know, it, it requires you to re-examine your own biases. And I think with the work that we do at the Equal Justice Initiative, I think sometimes it can be a little daunting to realize just how much um, there is to, to do. Uh, you know, I think we do a lot of really amazing work with incarcerated individuals across the country, um, but the need is is much greater than something that we will be able to address on our own. And so I think that that has surprised me. I, I knew mm-hmm. that the crisis of mass incarceration was large, um, but I think when I came to EJI, I always thought of EJI as this massive organization that was going to be able to tackle every single aspect of the problem. Um, mm-hmm. But as most places are not able to do things like that, EJI is also not able to, to do that. Right. And I think that that's what is, um, I think, really shocking to me as well is um, there's still so much more work to be done. Right, right. 
which can be motivating for our our next generation or our group of uh, upcoming professionals who are eager to get get started with things to know that there'll still be work to be done and get involved in. Yeah. And to wrap up this section of our discussion, are there any resources that the EJI offers that you would like to direct our listeners to that would allow them to learn more about the EJI or any of its programs and projects? To learn more about some of our programs or projects um, or anything else that EJI offers, feel free to check out our website. Um, If you just Google the Equal Justice Initiative, uh, you'll find all sorts of different um, programs and projects, especially our Community Remembrance Project, where people um, can get plugged in with their local communities, um, as well as toolkits for educators um, to teach about racial injustice. And it should all be pretty easily found on, on our website. That's awesome. All right. So I think we're moving into our last ad break of the hour, and then we'll be back for our trivia questions and final wrap up. Good morning and welcome back to the final segment of the final radio hour of the season for It's All History to Me. So this morning we have been joined by Mr. Nisikios Demtu of, uh, from the Equal Justice Initiative and he's called in from Montgomery. All right, so we always like to end our hours with uh, Q&A, trivia, and then a few final wrap-up questions. So first, uh, we always do our trivia questions, writing them before the hour starts so we never know if they'll actually be answered during the rest of our conversation or not. So for this first one, uh, (laughs) for our careful listeners, you should probably already know the answer. But what year was the Equal Justice Initiative founded? And uh, you can tell us the answer. Uh, oh, oh, I'm fine. Okay. Yeah, 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 sorry. <laughs> I have prefaced it a little different than I normally do. Yeah, yes, you can tell us no, the answer. No, I was like, oh, I, I didn't want to give it away. This is, this is an easy one. For me. <laughs> uh, but it's 1989. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. By Mr. Brian Um, What year did the Legacy Museum open? Gosh, um, let me make sure. I don't, I don't want to miss. 2018? Yes. Good. So for our second to last question of the hour, why is it important that we study history? I think it's important that we study history, and and I'm sure there's going to be some history professors on here who who might push back on me, so so this is not the official answer. But (laughs) um, (laughs) um, I think it's important um, because I think History tells us um, some some really important information about you know who we are. It allows us to grapple with um, what's happened in our past, and it provides a pathway forward. Um, so I think that um, you know at the Equal Justice Initiative, the reason we are studying the history is um, to understand ourselves more fully um, and to understand others around us more fully. Um, and by doing that, we hope that we can um, understand um, not only our past, but, but our present um, in, in, in a different light. Yeah, absolutely. I think our history professors would be proud of that answer. I'm, I'm glad. I feel like I had that question in, in high school, and I, feel, I remember some, a, a teacher telling me that, that, I, that I didn't have the right answer. So oh, no. it's actually a very scary question for me, so I'm, yeah. I'm glad that that's approved. Yeah, absolutely. 
I think the only wrong answer is that we shouldn't study history. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the only wrong answer. <laughs> okay. So for our last question of the hour, what advice do you have for current and future students of history? I think for anyone who's studying history now or in the future, it's important to remember that, um, you know, that what what is written in history isn't necessarily impartial, mm-hmm. um, that there's context to, to every story, mm-hmm. um, and that there are different ways of, of telling a history. Um, but at the same time, that we should do our best um, to be stewards of um, the the stories that, that, that we have, and to do our best to um, work towards elevating the stories of people who were often forgotten about in written or oral record. Mm. Um, and so I think that um, the theme of this year really aligns with that because I think um, there is a lot of history that celebrates the accomplishments of people who were already being celebrated during that time. Right. But what can be a lot more challenging is um, uncovering um, the stories of people where um, the, the dominant culture didn't necessarily celebrate or, or didn't put as much attention to. So I think that digging deep to, to think about, you know, what is the context of the history that you're telling, um, I think will, will make um, us just a, a much, a much better society. Yeah, yeah. What a great answer and a perfect way to wrap up our season of Uncovering Untold Stories. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. So to conclude our hour, we always go through our list of thank yous. First, of course, thank you to you uh, for joining us, Mr. Dantu Desikios, this morning. We had a great time and a really awesome conversation with you. So thank you for making time out of your day to come and speak with us. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you all so much. It's been it's been such a pleasure and, and an honor to be able to speak with you all. Thanks. Yeah. And thank you also to the Equal Justice Initiative for getting us in contact with you after we reached out earlier this uh, this year, I guess, over the summer. So thank you so much. And thank you for the work that you all are doing there to uncover untold stories and build such a important part of uh, Montgomery's, you know, infrastructure and a great place for people from across the country and hopefully across the globe to learn some important stories. And thank you to the Auburn History Department and our faculty advisor, Dr. Schultz, for his support of the History Club and the History Radio Hour. Thank you to the College of Liberal Arts for being the host where all of us are um, uh, a part of here at Auburn with the History Radio Hour. Everyone's been affiliated with the College of Liberal Arts. Thank you to Weagle, our college radio station, for hosting us and giving us airtime and the opportunity to do this program. And finally, thank you to our listeners. We were super excited to reach the 500 uh, recorded listens mark uh, this past week on our podcast. So thank you for all tuning in and making our work possible. So we'll see you next semester for a new season and a new theme. Yeah, see you in 2024. Woo! You've been listening to It's All History to Me, the show dedicated to exploring the people, places, and ideas of our past. Be sure to tune in next Thursday at 8 a.m. for more. But for now, keep it here on Weagle 91.1. See you next time.